Today is the five-year anniversary of Dead Rabbit Radio, and today we're going to take a look at three terrifying stories that will have us wondering not only what is real, not only investigating the darkest reaches of the paranormal, but forcing us all to ask the question, what is our place in the world of the weird? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. This is the five-year anniversary of Dead Rabbit Radio. It's absolutely insane. It was June 13th, 2018. I had to do the math in my head real quick. Five years ago, June 13th, 2018, when Dead Rabbit Radio officially began. Now, you may be listening to this episode not on the actual day it's released. I'm actually recording it a few days earlier. But what is time? What is the linear nature of time except linear? Um, however, however forget, forget all of that stuff. Forget you're like, why are you making a big deal of this? I'm listening to this episode on a Thursday in the year 2038. Well, it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's not, I mean, I guess it is kind of a big deal. People have been congratulating me five years on this podcast. I can't imagine my life without it. I can't imagine my life without you listening to these great stories, hopefully, right? <laughs> like, Jason, they're mediocre at best. You peaked in season seven. Well, well, forget all that stuff. Forget the linear nature of time. Forget shows that may have gone on too long. I don't think so. I think the show's better than ever. But let's just forget about all that stuff and welcome in the pilot of today's vehicles walking into Dead Rabbit Command, a loyal supporter of the show behind the scenes. Everyone give it up for Sabine. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! Yeah! <laughs> She's all walking into Dead Rabbit Command doing a little bow. Hi, Sabine, longtime supporter of the show behind the scenes, a very close personal friend of mine. And she's never had the opportunity to fly any of our vehicles, so we're going to put her in the cockpit of all these things today. Now, this is an interesting episode because these stories all kind of have this theme that we'll be piecing together throughout the episode, but I still got three killer stories for you. First off, Sabine, I'm going to toss you the bunny bicycle. Everyone hop on the handlebars as she pedals us out of Dead Rabbit Command and into the town of Hood River, Oregon. Squeaka, squeaka, squeaka. Squeaka, 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 riding the bicycle. It needs a little oil. But other than that, it's A-OK. One of the interesting things about the world of the paranormal, I mean, <laughs> by very nature, everything's interesting about it, but some things are even more interesting than others, is there is a very high mockery factor to it, a very high laugh factor so a lot of people won't tell stories of the paranormal unless they're with someone they truly feel comfortable with. And we see that a lot. Another interesting thing is that I've learned through doing this show, this wasn't something I was aware of as a paranormal researcher without such a, a broad scope, right? I used to be a used to really focus on ghost hunting, ghosts and demons and stuff like that. Now with this show, we're looking at UFOs and cryptids and everything like that. Another interesting thing is people don't get, they don't understand how unique their particular experiences may be. 
Because really, if they're not in the paranormal community, if they're not actually talking to other paranormal researchers or reading books about it, they don't have any idea of how truly bizarre things, the things that they're experiencing, are compared to, say, other things. Obviously, we see in the movies, ghosts killing people and possessing people and making people fly around their basements, things like that. And you go, well, I've never had that happen to me. I never got possessed and murdered my whole family. So the particular bizarre event that I experienced, it's not that crazy. But in fact, when you look at the real world, not the fictional movie world, you come across some bizarre stories. This is one of them. There's this kid in town. I think he's like 10 years old. We'll give him a fake name. He said I could use his real name. But considering the fact that he's 10 years old, um, don't want to use his real name. We're going to go ahead and call him Ozzy. Ozzy is a family friend. I know this little guy. And he really likes to play Pokemon. But Pokemon cards are banned at his school. So he can't play it there. He's not old enough to play at the local hobby shop. And me and his brother, we used to play Magic. Magic the Gathering. Hey man, do you want to play? Would you play some Pokemon with me? I was like, yeah, sure, dude. And so of course I crushed, I absolutely crushed him game after game after game. I built this really sinister deck. He kept saying, oh, I want to play you again, man. I got to beat you. And I was like, okay, you know, we'll play again. I beat him over and over and over again. Maybe about a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was only like four weeks ago. It was right before I went on break. I went to go play Pokemon with him. And for a score sheet... Because you got to keep track of all the po different Pokemon health. and so It's way more complicated than magic in a lot of ways. But you got, each Pokemon has health and stuff like that. You're constantly keeping score. And I grabbed a, a piece of scrap paper out of this book that I had. And it was a Dead Rabbit radio flyer. Because I was putting flyers up around town. And I pull out this Dead Rabbit radio flyer and I flip it over. And I start writing the score down. He goes, What's, what is that? Because obviously he saw that it was an oddly shaped piece of paper i go oh this is a flyer for my podcast i do this podcast it's on youtube it's called dead rabbit radio he goes what's it about i go it's about paranormal paranormal stuff and he's like oh okay and he's we're shuffling our cards at this point and he's sitting this is so bizarre this is so weird we're sitting there and i trust this kid he's not because i did go are, are you telling me the truth he's like no no this is i'm telling you the truth we're shuffling our pokemon cards and I go, do you believe in ghosts? And he goes, hey, you know, I've had some weird things happen. I used to have in my bedroom, I had this, like a sculpture. It was like a sculpture, uh, like, it was like a wooden sculpture of a lizard, but it was flat. So you would screw it into your wall. It was a piece of art. And he kind of motioned with his hand. It was, you know, probably about, five, six inches long. And it was basically just like this wooden artistic depiction of a lizard and it was screwed into his wall. And he goes, and one day I woke up and it moved. I go, like the screw came loose and it was kind of like pointing down. He goes, no. I woke up and it was in a different place in my room. Still on the wall, but a different spot. He's shuffling his cards. 
I go, really? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, it's so weird. He goes, and it didn't happen just once. More than once I'd wake up, get ready to start the day, and that lizard would be mounted on a different part of my wall. And almost as if he could read my mind. He didn't claim claim to have ESP. He didn't claim to be Professor X. My question was going to be, you know, because obviously he has an older brother, was it possibly a prank? Before I could even get that out, and he he said, he goes, one day, because it had moved around a couple times, he goes, one day I, I went over to the wall and I looked for holes where it had been drilled in, where the screw had been screwed in previously. I got up and I looked on my wall where I knew it was previously. There were no holes in the wall. It was as if that lizard was always mounted in this new position when I clearly knew it wasn't. He's just shuffling his cards. And then it starts laying them out on the table. And that... I mean, like, that's insane. Like, that is not a typical paranormal event by any means. Like, at this point, we're classifying it as alternate reality, Mandela effect type things. Which, even though that is very popular in the pop culture at this point, the power level it would take to distort reality, I think a lot of times gets glossed over. I think... People who really are interested in the phenomenon, that's why they connect it to death or something on the power level of a CERN super collider being turned on. To distort reality, to change things that dramatically would be more powerful than a ghost or a cryptid, and I would argue more powerful even than a UFO. Alien technology can cause lost time, they can wipe memories, But to actually change things physically with no evidence of it ever existing. I mean, there are scores of reports of people abducted by aliens and they have no memory of the event, but they still have a scar where an implant was placed. Alternate realities, Mandela effect type things would require a massive amount of power. But to a 10-year-old boy who doesn't have a serious interest in the paranormal he would only be able to put that in the categories of, well, it's not a ghost, it's, it's not a mon- I've heard of monsters, it's nothing like that. And for all he knows, this is, while not common, he knew it was weird. He knew it wasn't normal, but he, that, is, that, is a, that is a power level that normal people see with the Fruit of the Loom logo or the Berenstein Bear books, which affects millions of people around the world. Here he's waking up, and this happened multiple times, and he didn't give me a time period. He didn't say it was every day for a week it happened, or it happened over the course. He said, I don't have the lizard anymore. I don't have it anymore. But um, he didn't get rid of it because of that. It was just an odd thing that was happening in his life. But he couldn't rank it. Now, again, if that happened to any of us, that would be the most bizarre paranormal event that that even, I would say, happened to me. I've seen some crazy stuff and I've done some crazy things. If I woke up, if I woke up tomorrow and my fridge was in a different corner of the room, I would assume I was having a psychotic break. And then I would have to try to put it after after I got discharged from the hospital 
and reached into my newly placed fridge and got out a delicious Diet Mountain Dew. I would have to start to think, was there some sort of parent? Like, I'm looking, all the hookups were over here the whole time. But I remember for 11 years, it was in this location. Like, that would be so odd. I mean, beyond so odd. It's reality breaking. But to a, a child, he doesn't have any frame of reference for it. Absolutely bizarre story and again the way that he told it too was very nonchalant it would be as if someone showed up and said i got abducted by aliens last night is there like another pokemon card you're like wait what and he's like yeah it's crazy they put a chip in my neck okay your turn i was like oh well, you know it was bizarre it was really interesting really really interesting Sabine, let's go ahead and call in the hair hang glider and jump off the highest point of Hood River. It's like a two-story building. Catch the headwinds and glide all the way out to Alaska. This is something I did not announce on the show. And honestly, I don't know why I didn't. I had had this planned since February. I think I was just so... You know, that I really, my life becomes the show when it's in production. It's 20 plus hours a week, 25 plus hours a week minimum. So a lot of stuff was going on. I didn't never mention this on the show. And in hindsight, I should have. George Norrie, the host of Coast to Coast AM, personal hero of mine. I know a lot of people are, are more on the Art Bell train, but I listen to more George Norrie than Art Bell. For me, he's the voice of Coast to Coast AM. If you're not familiar with Coast to Coast AM, it is the premier, really, I think at this point, only nationwide paranormal show. It's on AM radio, and it airs, I think, from like 11 p.m. to like 3 in the morning, five nights a week. Like, truly, there would be no Dead Rabbit Radio without Coast to Coast AM. They set... Art Bell and George Norrie really set the table for paranormal discourse. We've covered a couple Coast to Coast episodes, stories, in the run of this show. I'll put them in the show notes. George Norrie, personal hero of mine. And I saw that he was coming to the Dalles, which is about 30 miles east of me. And tell me if this isn't an awesome lineup. I didn't know the first two guys. I didn't know, I didn't know them, but now that I've seen them speak, they're really, really cool dudes. It was George Norrie on stage. He also sang a couple songs. <laughs> I didn't expect that. He was singing Frank Sinatra songs. But it was him interviewing um, a guy named Dr. Sky, who's an astronomer he has on the show. I think it's like every Monday he has Dr. Sky on the show. He had Matt Moneymaker, who's from a Animal Planet show called Finding Bigfoot. And Matt Moneymaker had some really cool things to say about Bigfoot that I'm going to touch on in a later episode that actually made me rethink a little bit uh, about what I think of Bigfoot. So we'll do cover that in a, a later episode because I love being challenged and thinking, wow, maybe I... I, ne I never think I know everything, but I go, wow, that's a really interesting way to look at Bigfoot because I've really been of the Bigfoot is ultra-terrestrial. It's from another dimension. And Matt Moneymaker presented some... put some thoughts in my head to make me think maybe it is a biological entity. We'll talk about that on a future episode. Travis Walton... The guy was abducted by aliens and they made that movie, Fire in the Sky. He was there, sitting there watching Travis Walton be interviewed by George Norrie. What a treat. What a treat. 
And it was really interesting because obviously the movie Fire in the Sky was a big UFO movie. And Travis Walton goes, oh, they made a bunch of stuff up. <laughs> a bunch of stuff up that didn't happen. He goes, the movie gets really scary when he's on the UFO. He goes, none of that happened. So that was interesting because I think like a scam artist would lean into the most bizarre, scary parts of it. He's like, no, it wasn't like that. He goes, I couldn't breathe and the aliens like helped me. <laughs> wasn't running through the UFO, stumbling over the bodies of dead humans. They made all that up. But a long time listeners of Dead Rabbit Radio know I don't have a car. So to get 30 miles east, I had to take the local cat bus, the Columbia area transit bus. And I hate being late. So I got up super early on Saturday to take a bus super early in the day. So I would spend eight hours walking around the Dalles for this George Norrie event because I didn't want to be late. I hop on the bus. It was like nine in the morning. The event was at 5 p.m. I hop on the bus. And on the bus, I'm just kind of sitting there. The bus driver walks up. And I honestly don't remember his name. I probably should have written it down. But we're going to go ahead and call him Aaron. That might actually be his name. I meet this young man. He's going to be the bus driver. And uh, he gets on the bus. It's just me and him. And we're driving out to the Dallas. We get kind of, we're not even like out of Hood River yet. We start chatting. And I said, hey, I'm going out to the Dallas. I'm going to go to this event. I'm going to go see George Norrie and Travis Walton and these other two guys I didn't know of at the time. I asked this question of pretty much anyone that I'm going to spend more than five minutes with. Do you believe in the paranormal? <laughs> I really do. I like, for whatever reason, who knows why. I'm always talking about the paranormal, always talking about my show. I said, yeah, so what do you think? Do you believe in, like, Bigfoot? Do you believe in uh, ghosts? Things like that. Super interesting. So we're driving out to the Dalles, and he tells me that he's new here. He's just moved to Hood River probably about... I don't know if he lives in the city proper, but he lives in the area. He goes, I moved here, I think it was like six, nine months ago. Had family in the area. He goes, he came from Alaska. And he was a security guard at a hotel during COVID. So he said the hotel was just empty. I mean, like you had to have security there, I guess. But nobody was traveling. He goes, the hotel technically was open because there was a, a restaurant attached to it. And the restaurant was open. So the hotel was open, but no one was staying there. He goes, it was an old hotel. And I'd be walking around all by myself in this hotel. I said, you know, did you see anything? You see anything creepy? He goes, no, I, I didn't. He goes, I do believe in ghosts. I do believe in spirits and things like that. But I didn't see anything creepy. However, what was weird, what Aaron realized was an odd thing. And again, this is one of those. Here's the thing. Being alone, and imagine, imagine just being alone in a hotel or any place filled with people. Because he said that was the thing. He goes, he had been in this hotel when it was full of people. And it was just like walking through a hotel. But in your, when you're in a place, whether it's a public library or an amusement park. Or a city street. City streets, not so much. But places that are normally full of people and now there's zero. There is a eeriness involved. That's why that whole idea of liminal spaces is kind of like the new horror thing, the back rooms. 
It's a place that looks like it should be full of people, but it's just empty hallways. More than empty hallways, really, there's doors on each side of you, and who knows what is going on in there. But he goes, I didn't see anything. I would walk around this hotel on patrol. I didn't see anything. He goes, it was creepy because there normally should be people there, but there weren't. However, this is the point where I think it's more than just imagination. He goes, however, certain parts of the hotel. I'd be walking through this empty hotel. I'd get to this particular hallway. And I would get terrified. I'd feel it in my soul. I didn't want to be there anymore. Couldn't stand to be there. So I would finish that section of the patrol as quickly as possible and get back to another empty hallway where I would feel fine. Now see, that is... I told him, I go, listen, I'll be honest with you. You probably did see something in that particular section of the hotel. But you're, you're, uh, this has personally happened to me. Your brain's like, no. And it, your, your brain doesn't want to break. It has safety mechanisms in it. And instead of looking down that hallway and seeing the little boy, you just got a gut feeling. You didn't see the little boy standing there in his pajamas with a big giant blood stain on his chest going, Daddy, no. Because you would just, you would poop yourself to death. You would just die yourself. You'd have a heart attack. What makes it more than just an imagination? If he goes, listen, I hated working there from the second I walked into the building. I was completely creeped out no matter where I went. I was totally terrified and I couldn't wait to clock out. In fact, I left the building early every time. I just told him I was there all day. You could chalk that up to liminal space. You could chalk that up to the whole place is just creepy. But if you have a building that, yes, it's creepy when you're inside of it. But it's a tolerable creepy. It's like, yeah, it's a little weird because there's normally a lot of people here, but there's not any people here now. But then after a couple minutes in there, you kind of get used to it. You're just walking around. And then you get to a particular hallway and you're filled with a sense of utter dread. Even though layout-wise, this hallway is the same as every other hallway in this hotel... That points towards not your imagination. If it was your imagination, it'd be going off in the whole empty building. That points towards a haunting. That points to some sort of force outside of known reality is in that part of the hotel. And then when you get out of it, you're not so creeped out. It's an interesting story because, again, I think that is kind of the go-to thing. It's like, oh, your imagination's running wild. But you would imagine, I mean, unless that particular part of the hotel was the creepy wing on purpose. They had, like, spooky spider webs and, like, a skeleton that jumped out of every third door. Yes, sure. 
then we'd understand it. But I think that he was actually walking through a haunted portion of this hotel. And with all the bustle of a normal day when there are people there moving in and out of rooms and kids crying and dads trying to find something fun to watch on television, all of that stuff, you may not notice it as much. You may get a funny feeling in the middle of the night when you wake up, you may think you saw something move at the foot of your bed. But in the dead silence of an empty hallway, there's nothing else to feel but that. It's a creepy story. And he's he's in Hood River. I talked to him and, and he, we talked about maybe even doing ghost hunting up here. I kind of really want to do that. I've been talking a lot with my friend Molly, who's really wants to do it. For me, it's a logistical thing, but you never know. I would love to do some on the site, ghost hunting. But it's really cool. It was a really cool thing. To meet this man on my way to a paranormal conference, this young man tell me this story about this haunted hotel. And again, we've talked about this before on the show. He works there. He couldn't quit. He just had to keep walking down that hallway. It was his job. Now, it's possible he made his route. You know, Maybe he avoided it a couple nights. Maybe he's like, no, nah, I'm good. I look down the hallway. There's nothing there. But when you're at a haunted place as a paranormal investigator, you can leave. You can just put a throw a tape recorder down the hallway and go, ah, oh, that's enough researching down that hallway, the super spooky one. The one that I really should spend most of the time in because I'm a paranormal investigator. But if you work there all the time, even if you were just a guest, you're there for a couple days at most. But in the quiet of a COVID lockdown hotel, there's nothing to hear but the moans of the dead. <laughs> to be fair, he didn't hear any moaning, but you know, he sensed them. He sensed them. Sabine, let's call in that world famous carpenter copter. Get on your flight suit and take us up, up and away out of Alaska. I should have found out what city that was in. I think it was like in Eastern Alaska. He said it was a really old hotel. He goes, it wouldn't, he wouldn't have surprised him if the whole place was haunted, but for whatever reason, it was just that hallway that really set him off. Sabine, we're leaving behind Alaska. Fly us all the way out to Gresham, Oregon. I'm at the Dowls. I get, like I said, I get there really early. I'm so early that I actually hit up a friend of mine. I don't remember what name he wants to go by. Crinkle Snitch or I don't remember. Anyways, we're just going to call him Crinkle Snitch. Um, I meet up with Crinkle Snitch and we're hanging out at a restaurant. We have a good lunch. We're just kind of walking around enjoying the Dalles, which is hard to do, honestly. It's a tiny little town built in the middle of the desert. But it's beautiful, beautiful downtown. We're walking around. Eventually, though, it's time for him to leave because I, there's only one ticket for this event and he doesn't have one. I go to go see George Norrie. I get in line. And it's funny, is as I'm walking to get in line, there's an older gentleman kind of walking alongside of me, and we get in line at the same time. And I really quickly realized that I'm the youngest person at this event, and at 46 years old, that's quite the feat. I was, it was interesting to see how, I don't want to say old, but how much more mature the audience was than I expected at this George Norrie event. Tickets were $100. <laughs> that might have had something to do with it. But I'm standing next to this man, and it's funny, we're all there because we love the paranormal. Not that we all believe it, which is a very interesting distinction. A lot of people listen on this show don't believe in the paranormal. 
we start asking people, people asking this question, who are you here to see? Who are you here most excited to see? I go, George Nori, like he's a personal hero of mine. Really, really love the fact that he's brought these paranormal stories to the mass market. He brought these stories across America for so many years. Well, this man who was in front of me in line, his name was Tom Cherry. He's totally fine with me using his real name. Tom goes, I'm here to see Travis Walton. I'm here to see Travis Walton because I also had a UFO experience. Well, okay. He tells us the story as we're all standing in line. Total strangers, right? We don't know anybody. Tom goes, back in 68 or 69, he said, I was a little kid. And I remember being outside my house. My mom was inside doing the dishes. I'm outside. There's a family picnicking in a park next to our house. And in the middle of the day, a UFO appears. So as I look up at it in amazement, I mean, obviously I've heard of these stories of these flying saucers, but here's one in Gresham, Oregon. Middle of the day, and I look up at it, and he goes, it was as, as if you had taken a Frisbee and held it up in the sky. He goes, it was that big, or that close, really. He goes, you could see the details to it, and the oddest detail is, there was no detail. He said, there was no seams in this. It seemed like it was a solid piece of Metal, some sort of metallic structure that had no rivets, no seams, nothing. And it might have just been a trick of the light. It could have just been a boy's imagination. But the family who was picnicking, they looked up and they saw it as well. And this UFO is just hovering over the town of Gresham. Other adults. In the area. Look up and point. Oh my god, is that a is that a flying saucer? What what is that? And here's Tom, his eyes wide, looking at this thing straight out of the science fiction magazines that littered the shelves of corner drugstores. Here was a flying saucer. And it flew away. And everyone kind of looked at each other like, did you just what was that? Was that really a flying? It came back. And just hovered there. In that moment, when it flew away, you would be questioning what you could have possibly have witnessed. But when it, when it comes back, I would imagine a sense of apprehension. Because I think part of your brain wants to think this is just an illusion. This is just the trick of the light. I'm seeing things. But to see it leave the area and then come back, you're thinking, uh-oh. Like, I personally would be worried. It would almost at that point be like a circling vulture rather than just a hawk flying over your area. Tom runs into the house and tells his mom, 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 you've got to come outside right now. There's a flying saucer out there. 
And the mom goes, Tom, no, I'm not going to go outside and see a flying saucer. Flying saucers aren't real. Mom, no, seriously, like everyone in the neighborhood, everyone's outside looking at this thing. You, you got to come out and see this flying saucer. Mom's like, no, I'm not going to go outside. I'm busy. Tom, you're just seeing things. Go outside and play, but don't. So if you have any more visions, any more hallucinations, we're taking you to the hospital. Tom runs outside without his mother and looks up and the UFO is still there. He said the entire event lasted for around five minutes. So it was there, flew away, came back, and it was just kind of in the area there for about five minutes until... He goes, what it did was, you're looking at this thing, it was as if someone was holding a Frisbee up. It was that big or that close. I mean, it's really hard to gauge the size of it. But he said, all of a sudden, it zipped off into the distance. It went from being the size of a Frisbee to the size of a pinprick in the horizon. Because I watched it just go, and then it was gone. Now, after it had left, obviously it was the talk of the town. Most people are going to not forget the fact that a UFO visited the town of Gresham, Oregon. And Tom's mom started to hear from other adults in the area, there was a UFO flying over this town a couple days ago. She's like, what? They're like, yeah, I, I saw it. Adults were saying this. I saw a UFO it was in the middle of the day. It's crazy. I've never seen anything like it. And Tom, Tom didn't necessarily say he rubbed it in, but I'm sure he was vindicated a little bit. Mom's like, really? And the other adults are like, yeah, I saw it as well. It was the weirdest thing. It was here for about five minutes and zipped away. Years and years later, Tom is sitting at the side of his mother while she's on her deathbed. And they're talking, spending time together as a son and a mother, the final moments of her life. And they talked about many things. But Tom asked her while she laid there, is there anything you regret the mother looked up at her son and she said, I regret not going out into the yard that day you came into the house. I regret I didn't believe you. I regret that I didn't, with my own eyes, see a UFO. You know, this is one of those stories that when Tom was telling us this in line, it's an interesting UFO story for sure. A middle-of-the-day sighting with multiple witnesses of various ages. That's a very, very interesting sighting. But this story, and I told Tom this, I go, this, this story also has such a personal effect. This story also has such a, such a deep impact because that... <laughs> He said his mom was fairly agnostic in life. She didn't really, she didn't poo-poo religion. She didn't care what other people believed. She let her children believe what they wanted. But a lot of stuff, she was agnostic. But imagine if you had 
the opportunity to see a UFO. And she didn't, even though she knew, she heard from other adults that it was true. Proof. To see proof that there is something more wondrous in the world than what we know. She didn't walk out that door. She didn't take a look at it. And it adds such a, a an element of tragedy. And I do think there are people that... I think if she, if there were an adult came to her door and said, hey, you got to come out and see this UFO, she probably would have walked outside. I also think there are people who, like, they live glasses. You're like, I don't want a proof. I don't want to see it. I don't want proof. Don't put the glasses on me. There's some people who actively avoid knowing it. And I think she, if, she, if someone, if not her son, who may have been prone to imaginative thoughts like most children are, had come to the door, maybe she should have went outside. But it's such a, an interesting story of... A UFO sighting in broad daylight, that's weird enough, but then that human tragedy, she regretted on her deathbed that she didn't walk out that door and see a UFO with her own eyes. Would it have changed her life? I mean, it definitely could have changed the way she looked at certain phenomenon, for sure. But a very, very interesting story. And it would, and I, I, Tom told me that story, and... If I remember correctly, Tom told the story about the UFO sighting. What happened was we were standing in line to get into this conference. And we get in line and then he was just a really nice guy, right? So then when we're getting our tickets, I have a booth ticket and he has a like a floor ticket. And he goes, well, if we don't see each other again, it was nice meeting you. We shake hands. We go in separate doors. And then we end up sitting right next to each other. The booth was just elevated by like maybe a foot. I thought it was going to be like up in the rafters, which I actually preferred my seat. I had a great view. I'm sitting right next to Tom. I'm sitting right next to Tom for the next four hours during this conference or three hours, whatever it was. Well, we sat there for a while and ate. And I think that, I think it was in the quiet of the room or at least where it was just me and him talking as the place was filling up was where he added more, he told me the story about the mother. I don't remember if he's on the sidewalk going, and then my mom died. And proclaimed it. It's really interesting because I'm sitting out next to this dude and we're talking. And he goes, here's the thing. I never felt comfortable telling that story because it sounds insane. He goes, but I'm retired now. And he like plays in blues bands and jazz bands and stuff like that. He's just living his best retired life. And he goes, now I really don't care what people think about me. So I'm telling this story. And I think that's that's when he was talking about his mother being agnostic. That's when he, I, that was he was telling me more personal details while we were sitting next to each other. And I said, "Is it okay if I talk about it on my show?" Because he had said he goes, "I would love to tell this story to George Norrie or even Travis Walton." He goes, "Because I know Travis Walton believes in UFOs. He was he was abducted by one. It would be amazing." He said, if I could tell this story to Travis Walton, he goes, "Nowadays, he goes, maybe I'll call into the show or I'll write up an email and send it in." To coast the coast AM. And I go, well, you know, I can talk about it. My show's not as big as his. But I, you mind if I talk about it on my show? And he's like, no, not at all. So I took a couple notes and we were chatting. Now, I want to write... Th 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 this is so insane. I'm sitting next to this guy. I'm sitting next to this guy named Tom Cherry. Just met him. Stood in line for a while. We finally get into this event. Like I said, I was the youngest person there. Pretty much. There's very, very mature audience. It was also a very hot day. I just want to tell you how devoted the fans are of Coast to Coast AM. It's a very hot day. An elderly man who was standing in line in the sun collapsed under the heat. 
fell this you're gonna think I'm making this up, but fell down on the ground, hit his head. Ambulance was called. Ambulance shows up and says, Let's take you to the hospital, and he says, Absolutely not. I have a ticket to watch this show. I'm going inside. These dedicated people, right? I probably would have went to the hospital, but I'm a big crybaby. It was a great show. True showmanship on George Norrie's part. He was singing all these songs. Again, didn't expect that. I'm sitting next to Tom. Tom falls asleep halfway through the show. He didn't hit his head. And it was fun. We had fun doing this show. And then at the end of it, he goes, hey, man, uh, do you want me to give you a ride back to Hood River? I said, no. I go, actually, Sabine was coming into town to pick me up. He's like, okay, okay. He had had a couple vodkas during the event. He was drinking some vodka, right? And that was another reason why. <laughs> that was another reason why he fell asleep. I think technically the term is passed out. He had a couple of vodkas in him. And, and, and as we're leaving, at this point, we had exchanged phone numbers. We were talking so much. And as we're leaving, I go, hey, man, uh, be safe. Have a safe drive home. And he's like, yeah, hey, thanks a lot, man. And we go in separate ways. I go and I meet up with Sabine and we head back to Hood River. This is so nuts. This is so nuts. I get back to Hood River. At 11 o'clock at night, I get a text from Tom. He goes, you'll have no idea what just happened. He goes, after I left the event, I realized that I was a little drunk from drinking the vodka. So I decided (laughs) to go to a bar. Decided, you know, what will make this night even better? More alcohol. He goes, I went into a bar and I started drinking and into the bar walks Travis Walton and George Norrie's producer, Tommy D. And he goes, we just sat and drank. And I told, I personally told Travis Walton my UFO story. I was like, son of a gun. Son of a gun. You know, I had given Tommy D, the producer of Coast to Coast, I gave him one of my business cards. I caught him in the middle of an intermission. I said, hey, my name is Jason Garbiner. Host the podcast, Dead Rabbit Radio. I have a thousand episodes. And he goes, wow. And I go, yeah. (laughs) Yes, you're right to say, wow. Here's my business card. I'd love to talk to you. He takes it. And he goes on with his business. You know, pats me on the back, goes on with his business. He got to <laughs> Tom got to sit there at a bar and drink with Coast to Coast AM producer, the guy who puts the show together, talk about a business contact. That's what I'm thinking of. And Travis Walton. Yes, and the guy who was abducted by aliens. He sat there and he sat there and personally drank with these two guys and got to meet them. He got to meet them on a personal level. And then Tom realized he was super drunk. He threw his keys or locked his keys in his trunk, he said. Slept in his car. He goes, actually, I'm glad I didn't give you a ride home, Jason, because then I wouldn't have had that opportunity. And I said, I wish you had given me a ride home because I would have went to the bar with you and I could have sweet-talked Tommy D all night. Fascinating, really. Great event for Tom to be at. I met him. It was really awesome. Meeting with this guy tells me this truly touching UFO story. And then he gets to sit down with Travis Walton kick back a couple beers and tell this man personally his UFO story. And the reason why I wanted to highlight all of these stories 
in the five-year anniversary episode is because this is something, if nothing else comes out of this show, if you get nothing else from this show, and I mean the show entirely, not just this episode, is that we are not alone. And I don't mean not alone in the universe. I mean, I want you guys to realize this is our tribe. This, this, this community of people who love the paranormal, whether or not you believe it, the people who love hearing the stories about paranormal, sharing these stories, this is our tribe. And there really is a self-isolating factor to it. Tom had not shared his story for decades. But when he found himself standing in line with people who he knew also had a love of the weird, he felt comfortable telling it to strangers. He gave me more intimate details later on about the story, but even then, I he knew I was invested. He knew I was into this world of the weird that we all love. But I think so often, it feels lonely. And I don't want you guys to feel lonely. There are people out there who think just like you, who love the same things you do. But I do think because there's such a high mockery factor, people don't talk about it. And I want, if you get anything out of this show, if you get anything out of this program, I want you to realize that you're not alone. And I, I, I think that is so strong. The world of the paranormal, these people are our tribe. And it's so awesome. To me, it was so awesome that I'm just able to talk to these people and hear this stuff. Meet these people who have a shared love for the paranormal. You, who has a shared love for the paranormal. I would love people to start forming ghost hunting groups and UFO research groups. Whether they're in real life or online, it doesn't matter. I want you guys... And this has nothing to do with the show. I'm not trying to get you guys to do this to promote the show or nothing like that. I want you guys to realize that you're not alone, and I want you guys to find others to share this passion with, because they're out there. They're out there. And maybe you need to find them because you're, you're feeling a little alone, or maybe they need to be found. Maybe you're doing totally fine. Everything's great in your life, but there may be people near you who they need to know they're not alone. Because this is our tribe. These are our people. And I love that about this show. I, this is the thing that I couldn't do before the podcast. When I was a ghost hunter, I'd go ghost hunting with my friends. Now I can go ghost hunting with people all over the world. I, I can share these stories with people all over the world, and you can too. And this is our tribe. And I think this is so important to not feel alone. Because there's so many of us, and we all share this passion, and I absolutely that I absolutely love that part of the paranormal, and it's something that I didn't really knew existed before doing the show. I knew there were people out there who believed in ghosts and goblins, obviously, but the community aspect of it, I love it. I love it, and I want you guys to know that it's out there, whether it's a stranger you're talking to online or some weirdo on your bus, right? Or someone you happen to be playing Pokemon with. We're not alone. This is our tribe. And we're out here. And there's tons of us. And it's a lot of fun.
it's really a lot of fun exploring this stuff and sharing it. And I hope you guys can experience the same level of fun I have. I hope you guys are. Not just the entertainment factor of the show, but I really like, I was thinking about that. I go, if the show ended tomorrow, but a hundred paranormal groups were founded by people who listen to the show, and you're going, you know what, that's really cool. Like, I want to start investigating ghosts in my area, or I want to start a, a website where I'm cataloging alien encounters, or I want to do this podcast about cryptids or whatever. That's what I would love the ultimate legacy of this show to be. And I want people, I want you to realize you're not alone. There's a lot of people out there who think like you. And uh, I think that's really the most powerful. I think that's the most powerful gift I can receive on the five-year anniversary of Dead Rabbit Radio is that the gift of building something beyond the show, something that's not even has anything to do with the show. That's I, that's great. I love that. I love that. And I love being part of this community. And I love hanging out with you and sharing that with you. And I only hope that you share it with others. Again, I'm not talking about the show. Forget forget promoting the show this episode. Just that. Because it can be isolating. It can feel like you're alone in it. It can feel like you're the weirdo who believes in this stuff. Or likes hearing about this stuff. But it's not. There's millions of us. We're not alone. We are a tribe. And it's one hell of a tribe to be a member of. Because you never know what's going to happen next. When you're looking into the world of the weird, all bets are off. You have no idea where those journeys may take you. It may put you right next to one of your heroes in a bar where you can personally talk to them. Just total chance encounter. But it's one that Tom Cherry will not regret on his deathbed. Because he took the chance to show up at that event in the first place. And he took the chance to tell those stories. He took the chance to not be mocked. Fascinating, fascinating chain of events that led to him meeting Travis Walton in a bar in the Dalles. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.